starting a new study. We'll be looking into the book of Philemon, the, the short letter to Philemon. Back in the New Testament, near the back, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. If you get to Revelation, you've gone way too far. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. We're going to look at just a few uh, verses here. Um, plan to break this out a little bit as we end the year here. Before we get too much into the Word, let's bow for a brief word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the time we're able to reflect on your love as we sing praises to you, lift our voices in praise, reflecting on your love demonstrated through the sacrifice of Christ, thus bringing us salvation, which through Christ's death was the, brought the atonement which allows us to stand forgiven before you. Because, Father, we have no merit except Christ. And through Christ, we stand forgiven. In Christ, we stand forgiven. Help us now as we look into this short and another often overlooked letter that is in your word. That it was penned not just under the inspiration or of the Spirit, but penned by Paul personally to a friend. Help us to see the practical aspects from this book. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we get started, let me ask you a question. Now, this question wasn't original with me. I got it from um, uh, John MacArthur Bible Study. Um, but it, it helps us get our thinking going as we look into this section of Scripture. So let me ask, which is harder, humbling yourself and seeking forgiveness from someone or letting go of bitterness and forgiving someone who has wronged you? What is harder, humbling yourself and seeking forgiveness from someone you've wronged or letting go of bitterness and forgiving someone who has wronged you. And why would you say that? Now, I think as you think through that, I think it depends a little bit on the person. It may even depend on the situation. For me, generally, it can be harder to forgive. Experiences in my past can color the current issue, influencing me not to forgive. Well, many times when I know or I realize I have given the offense or done something, it is easier for me to seek forgiveness. And you may be similar. You may be different. You may find it harder to ask forgiveness than give. You may have trouble with both. Our culture doesn't promote or teach forgiveness. Our culture is so egocentric and selfish that forgiveness is seen as a weakness. And seeking retribution, seeking vengeance, is strong. We see in TV and movies, typically, heroes portrayed seeking vengeance. Seeking retribution and retaliation is the common and almost default response in our society. Lawsuits and retaliatory crimes are rampant. We are hurt, or we perceive a hurt, and we become angry, bitter, 
hateful, resentful, even hostile. Unforgiveness leads to the ending and severing of relationships. Family relationships are broken because of it. Divorce, estrangement of children with parents or between siblings. All of this feeds from our pride. Forgiveness is humility, both on the part of the offender seeking forgiveness and the offended giving forgiveness. But Christians are called to forgiveness. God wants us to forgive others, especially fellow believers, as we have been forgiven, as we stand before God forgiven. We saw that in part of the passage that was read this morning, Colossians 3.13 makes that statement. And the parallel of Ephesians 4.32. To be an unforgiving Christian is to be in rebellion against the Lord. It is a blatant disobedience. Unforgiveness keeps pain alive and prevents healing. It gives way to bitterness, robbing us of joy, peace, and the other fruits of the Spirit. Unforgiveness opens the door to Satan, to work, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. And it hinders our relationships, especially with the Lord, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. So we need to recognize that forgiveness is a practical expression of our faith. It's a practical expression of the believer's faith. And God wants us to develop the characteristic of forgiveness. Well, how do we do that? We'll see here as we look through our passage, through three, having three needed concerns. A concern for the Lord, a concern for the church, and a concern for growth. We'll be looking at Philemon verses 1 through 7 this morning. We'll go ahead and read this briefly. Philemon, beginning in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by, by you, brother. Now, as we get started here, we need a little bit of background. We need to understand a little bit of who's writing and what is writing and what is uh, who he's writing to, and, and what's the, what is happening here. The sim- this simple, short, personal letter from the Apostle Paul was written during his first Roman imprisonment, Acts 28. This letter was written around the same time as the books Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, the other prison epistles. More directly, it was written uh, at and sent relatively at the same time of Ephesians, and very specifically, Colossians. This letter is one of the earliest letters to be attested to Paul, to be uh, almost verified that it was, yes, Paul wrote it, and it is nearly in every early list, every early canon of New Testament. 
almost everybody who made a list of New Testament books included Philemon. It was that well attested to. Well, what is the purpose of this writing? Well, Paul's writing a friend and ministry colleague urging his forgiveness and acceptance of a runaway slave named Onesimus, who had recently converted to Christianity. We see that down in verse 10. Now, Roman slavery is a very complex, uh, very complex um, setup, uh, and by the first century, it was such so integrated into Roman society, a slave owner had total control over his slaves, and yet slaves would have the opportunity to learn trades, such as being a doctor, a teacher, things like that. They'd be able to put money aside to buy their freedom. A lower class person or an impoverished freeman had little chance to better their situation, while a slave had job security, receive an education, and would be entrusted with important responsibilities. Now, some Romans, some citizens could have been could be cruel and could punish a slave harshly for the slightest error. A runaway slave, if caught, could be severely punished or even executed. Anyone who harbored or aided the runaway could be charged with a hefty fee payable to the slave owner for any loss of profit. While the church, while the early church didn't call for social reform and the abolition of slavery in the empire, which could have been seen as inciting rebellion, the teaching of the church went to the heart of the issue. One thing we cannot do right now is we cannot, we cannot come across slavery in the Bible and look at it through our 21st eyes, with our 21st century eyes and, and 21st century prejudice. Jewish and Roman laws concerning slavery is much more complex than the slave trade of the 17th to 19th century Europe and the U.S. It's a different setup. Now, Paul lists several people here as the recipients, but Philemon, the one to who this letter is named, is the primary recipient. The bulk of the letter is directed to him. This is a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to this, and to this Colossian believer, and this is the only New Testament record of this man. Paul refers to him as beloved. This word can sometimes be translated as dear friend. He may have gotten to know and grew close to Paul and Timothy in Ephesus, where he may have aided in the ministry. He may have come to know the Lord through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. He calls him here a fellow worker, a fellow laborer. Now some of this is supposition, but Paul doesn't calls him a fellow laborer, and this is the same description that he applies to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke in verse 24 at the end of the letter. So there is some level of ministry colleague working with Philemon between he and Paul. Now there's no indication in the letter that Philemon was an elder or pastor or, or a deacon in the church. 
but he certainly could have been. But he seems to be, at the very least, an active member in the Colossian church and the ministry. Now, we, I keep referencing Colossians, and I reference Philemon as being from Colossae, uh, and there's, because there is some overlap between the books, there's some couple of parallels that indicate that these were written at the same time um, and that Philemon was in Colossae. Now, Paul sent this letter, the letter of Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians, with an associate who may have been from Colossae, but um, may not have been. He sent it with an associate named Tychicus, and this is re uh, he's referred to this in Colossians 4.7, along with Onesimus. He's referenced in Colossians 4.9. These letters were sent along with them. Philemon seems to be a somewhat wealthy man. He had at least one household slave and seemed to have a house large enough to have a congregation of the Colossian church meeting there. Now, there are other recipients that we have men mentioned here, all in, verse, all in verse 2. The first one is Apphia. She's mentioned right here in Paul's greetings. She may have been Philemon's wife. If this is true, as the mistress of the house, her say would have a long way to go in, what would, in Philemon's response to Onesimus. And how that would, and what her reaction would be, uh, and, and how Onesimus would be treated. Next, there is Archippus is mentioned in the greeting as well. And it is typically thought to, he is typically thought to be Philemon and Apphia's sons, son, since he is listed along with the others of the household. Archippus receives a special description from Paul as a fellow soldier. This causes many to think that Archippus was a leader in the Colossian church, possibly a pastor. He may have had a special traveling ministry in the area, going from Colossae to the neighboring cities of Hierapolis and Laodicea. He is mentioned in Colossians 4.17 specifically with a, to receive a message from Paul in that letter. And then lastly, the other recipient here is the church in your house. Paul knew that though this letter was primarily for Philemon, the church that met in his home, the Colossian church, or, or one of the Colossian church, that those churches and the surrounding areas would know what would happen with Philemon, what would happen between he and Onesimus. We know that most of this letter, though, is not meant for the church meeting in his house. It, it is meant for Philemon. Paul uses the singular you throughout the letter, except here in the initial greeting in verse 3, and then just a few more times at the end of the letter in verses 22 and 25. Every other time you come across the second, pronoun, second person pronoun you, it is singular. He is writing primarily to Philemon. Now, I know that's kind of a lot of background, but this is kind of where we're at, and we've kind of quickly went through verses 1 through 3. So just to remind ourselves here, God wants us to develop the characteristic of forgiveness. How? Through three concerns. And we're going to see these in the next set of verses.
We're not going to touch much on verse 4. Verse 4 is the common uh, statement of thankfulness and remembrance and prayers for the recipient. This, is, uh, this comment is toward Philemon. And he says that when, he, when Paul prayer, prays with Philemon in mind, it is always with thanksgiving. He is a dear friend that is always, when Philemon comes to mind during his prayer, it is always a matter of thanksgiving that he prays about Philemon. Now we need to touch on something in verse 5. Verse 5 has a little bit of an odd construction to it. Um, and there's some, it's not totally agreed upon, but it, it's the general idea that verse 5 has what is known a chiastic construction. That's two pairs that are listed in parallel connection with the second pair is listed in reverse order. I know that's kind of confusing. In verse 5, the pairs are love and faith. And the second pair is the Lord Jesus and all the saints. So in this construction, love is connected to all the saints. Faith is connected to the Lord Jesus. So if you were to set this, if you were to take those two pairs and set them over top of each other, it would be one of those kids matching games, draw a line from this, from this picture to the word, right? You, you remember those? So you had love, you would draw a line down to, toward this, to all the saints, then you would draw a line from faith to the Lord Jesus, and you would have, it would look like an X, but it would be similar to the Greek letter chi, therefore chiastic. But that's love toward all the saints, faith toward the Lord Jesus. That's how this is set up. And that will make more sense as we work through it, but it, it's a difficult uh, construction just to see without seeing how things work together here. What makes this more likely and compelling is that Paul uses both of these concepts, faith in Jesus and love to the saints, without this type of construction in other passages, passages Ephesians 1.15 and Colossians 1.4. He makes similar references, the faith, your faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward the saints. But it's not in this type of construction. Okay, we got kind of all the housekeeping out of the way. We'll get into the meat of it here now. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6 to begin with. Now we're going to, I don't want to say cut and paste, but we're going to do a little bit of jumping about here. So going down to verse 5. Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, the first concern that we need to have to develop the characteristic of forgiveness is a concern for the Lord. A concern for the Lord. A believer should have a concern for and desire to obey and please the Lord. This concern for the Lord is part of developing the characteristic of forgiveness. Now, specifically in verses 5 and 6, we're looking at the kind of that first part of verse 5, um, the faith towards the Lord Jesus. And then the very end of verse 6, in Christ or unto Christ. Or if you have a newer translation, it may, it may say, for the sake of Christ. 
First is this faith in Christ. Paul mentions that he had heard of Philemon's true, genuine faith in or toward the Lord Jesus. As a genuine believer, Philemon was concerned about and desired to please the Lord. Philemon knew that since the Lord had forgiven him, he could forgive others. The ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit and the Word of God would and could lead Philemon to do what was right before the Lord. A believer in Jesus Christ, one reconciled to God, forgives and is equipped to forgive. Unbelievers are not fully equipped to forgive. They lack the full capacity. Paul points this out in Romans 3. In Romans 3, verses 10 to 16, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They, they, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. It's one of Paul's descriptions of the state of the unbeliever. And with that description of an unbeliever, how can an unbeliever truly forgive as a believer can? As one who stands truly forgiven before the Lord, who understands forgiveness, an unbeliever doesn't have that full understanding. No one that is controlled by or full of bitterness will truly forgive another. The second part of being concerned of being a concern for the Lord is Christ's glory. In the Christian life, all the joys, difficulties, hard times, and responsibilities are for the sake of Christ. Now the end of verse 6 says, in Christ or unto Christ. Uh, the King James and New King James reads, in Christ. Uh, the preposition that is used, though, is more directional in its intent and meaning, uh, and that it flows from the rest of the that and it flows from the rest of the verse and has the idea of unto Christ or for the sake of Christ. Everything a believer does should be for the glory of God. First Corinthians ten thirty one. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Paul, knowing Philemon and hearing how his faith is lived, trusts Philemon has a concern for the Lord to be glorified. So Paul expected Philemon to forgive because Philemon knew it, it knew it would and was concerned for Christ to receive glory. The characteristic of forgiveness needs to have a concern for the Lord through our genuine faith and seeking to give the Lord all the glory that is due to Him. Now we'll look at our, our second idea here, concern for the church. We're going to look now, expand this just a little bit. We're going to look at verses 5 through 7. We're going to look uh, at a second part of verse 5, an early part of verse 6, and all of verse 7. So, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and, all, and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have 
we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Here we have a concern for the church. Believers should have a strong concern for the church, especially the local church for which they are a part. This concern has a lot to do with the characteristic of forgiveness. First, to have the characteristic of forgiveness, we need to, we need to have a love for others. The love that Paul uses here, to, is describing here, is agape. This is the love from choice and will and humility. Love is part of the fruit of the Spirit. This is, this is love that is taught to believers by God, 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Because this love comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. So it is a manifestation of one's true saving faith. Paul comments of Philemon's love for all the saints. In our everyday conversations, we may say or hear, oh, so-and-so is such a saint. This has become to mean in our language that a person is good or particularly kind or something like that. But that's not how the New Testament uses the term. When the New Testament uses the term saint, it is referring to those who have been sanctified. It is referring to those that have been set apart to God. It is a reference to believers. It is a reference to the church. Philemon's faith in Jesus produced the love Philemon had for all the saints. And since he loved all the saints, certainly Onesimus, now a saint, would be included and receive Philemon's love as well. Love is expressed in concern for others, and Philemon's concern for others would lead him to forgive. But also, there's a concern for the fellowship of believers. Forgiveness within a local church body promotes and maintains harmony, peace, and unity. Failing to forgive leads to bitterness, creates rifts and divisions among believers. Even when a local church must, in love, practice church discipline, the goal is for reconciliation and the restoration of a sinning member. The church, and especially the local church, has no place for individualism. We are to care for and love each other. Fellowship certainly is certainly has a, a concern of Philemon's, and his willingness to forgive Onesimus or not would affect the Colossian church, especially the congregation meeting in his home. Now here in verse 6, the King James uses the word communication. The New King James and the ESV use sharing. The New American Standard uses fellowship. The word, this word is, tra is translated from koinonia. It is often translated as fellowship in English. Now, while this word can be nuanced in meaning and, and a little difficult to translate, the idea here is more than just a mutual enjoyment of each other's company. 
but a sharing or participation in something together. Believers belong in a mutual partnership that comes from our common faith in Christ. The fellowship becomes effective or powerful within a local church in cases of forgiveness, especially cases that have become public to the church, such as ones like Onesimus and Philemon. When a fellow believer is forgiven, whatever the offense, there is a strong and powerful statement of the concern of fellowship made. This is to assume that the offending believer is repentant. If the offender is not repentant, then church discipline may come into play. Charles Spurgeon once made this comment, Repentance and forgiveness are, are riveted together by the eternal purpose of God. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Repentance and forgiveness are tied together. The offending party needs to be repentant of what they have done in seeking forgiveness. Now there's another part of this concern, and that's blessing others. And this is where verse 7 comes in. In verse 7, Paul comments that Philemon's reputation of love for all the saints had given him joy and comfort. Just thought about making a remark about comfort and joy in a specific song, but we won't do that right now. Philemon's concern for the church was shown in his love for the saints. The people of the church, through his concern for the fellowship, by being a blessing to others. This report of Philemon may have been brought to Paul by Epaphras, uh, who, who went to Paul seeking likely seeking help for the, up, for the heresy that the book of Colossians uh, tries to refute or refutes. This report may have even come from Onesimus himself. But Philemon had blessed fellow believers in some way that had refreshed their hearts. Now the word hearts here in verse 7 is not the typical word that we would expect. This word has a, has a meaning that, that involves a deep emotion to it. The word's literal sense is for the inner parts or bowels of a person. You think, that's odd and kind of gross. What is this? Well, some Greeks thought and taught that the emotions stemmed from the inner parts of the person. Paul uses this term again in verse 12 and in verse 20, and it's also found in this fashion in, Phil in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Now he says that because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. This term refresh is the idea of giving someone rest or relief from a toilsome labor. Some indicate that this is that the word pictures an army resting from march. They've stopped the day's march and they take refreshment. They are refreshed as they prepare to move on. This word is also used in Matthew 11 verse 28 in a very similar sense. In Matthew 11:28, Christ is speaking and he says, "Come to me all who are labor 
and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest there is this same word. Philemon had refreshed, aided, been a blessing to fellow believers, whether they were members of the Colossian church or others as they traveled. Philemon may have been a businessman of sorts and successful enough to be fairly wealthy. He may have aided some of these believers financially or as means were available. But he seems to have been an inherently kind man that was a source of blessing to fellow saints. Paul knew this kind of person would be apt to forgive. Now, keeping in the idea of fellowship, and this idea of fellowship is participating together in something, think of it this way. Mariah and I participate, share in life together through our marriage. We, have, we are in fellowship. Members of a local church participate in life together. Fellowship is much more than a potluck meal every month. Fellowship is sharing the loss of a loved one, the pain of family or marital issues, sharing the grief and shock of bad medical diagnosis. It's sharing the joy of a new baby. No, we are not expecting. Don't let that be... No. It's the sharing of a joy of a new baby, rejoicing over someone coming to Christ, helping someone move, celebrating a grandchild or child's accomplishment, sporting event, or recital. It's sharing life together. That's why membership at a local church is so important. You can't be a member and sit at home and watch streaming every week. That's fine. There's a place for that. But being involved in the local church together is the church, is what the church is for. The characteristic of forgiveness needs to have a concern for the church through our brotherly love for our fellow believers and the sharing of life and faith that we have with each other as we seek to bless others as we can. Now our last concern comes out of verse 6, kind of right in the middle. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. This is a concern for growth. Now, this concern for growth as a believer requires knowledge, but not just mental assent. Knowledge that comes from experience. And the word, for, the word that Paul used here for knowledge, here in verse 6, refers to a deep experiential knowledge. At the time of salvation, believers receive a new nature through, the rege through regeneration, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And believers are then blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3. And part of Paul's prayer here for Philemon is to gain an experiential knowledge 
of the good thing that is in us, which is part of those spiritual blessings. So we can read books about forgiveness, study scripture, listen to sermons on forgiveness, or give sermons on forgiveness, depending, depending on which side of the pulpit you're sitting. We can listen to sermons on forgiveness. We can read. We can gain a mental understanding of it. But until we forgive someone, we would have no experiential knowledge of forgiveness. We would never experience it. We wouldn't understand it or know it in that way. For Philemon to forgive Onesimus would be for him to experience that good thing that is in him. And when we walk in obedience to God's will, we experience the good things God has placed within us. Paul wanted Philemon and was likely confident that Philemon would want to experience the true knowledge of forgiveness by forgiving Onesimus. Paul gives a subtle reminder that we need to have a concern for knowledge, a concern for growth, a, a concern for spiritual maturity. I don't know if you read the Spurgeon quote that I put up on the slides this morning, but if you didn't, I'll have it here for you. Spurgeon said, To be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive. As it is more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive raises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. To be, to be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there is only one thing sweeter, sweeter still, that is to forgive. As it is more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive raises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. When we learn a new skill, we can't just read about it. We have to physically practice it. And some of us have to practice a lot more at things than others. The same is true for our spiritual growth. We can read about spiritual truths. We can be thrilled when we grasp the truth of Scripture intellectually. But just as thrilling or nerve-wracking is to live out that truth in practice. To gain knowledge through experience, when we practice the truths of Scripture and gain this experiential knowledge, we grow spiritually and we move toward spiritual maturity. Ephesians 4, 12, and 13. And while this is not directly in my notes, this is, some, this is what... Paul wants, and this is part of what every pastor, every teacher wants. Colossians 1. Verse 
beginning in verse 27. Now, beginning in verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And the mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And here in verse 28, him, Christ, Christ we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, complete, mature in Christ. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. To, live, to practice the truths of Scripture, to understand them and put them into practice and live them out is a step in maturity and growth in the Christian life. And that is the goal. We move in maturity as we become more and more like Christ. The characteristic of forgiveness is a mark of maturity in the believer because, that, because we have that, that, that of a knowledge that only comes through experience. The believer needs to have a concern for spiritual growth. So we need to recognize that forgiveness is a practical expression of our faith. And God wants us to develop this characteristic of forgiveness. How do we do that? Well, through the three concerns that Paul addressed here. Concern for the Lord, concern for the church, and concern for growth. And hopefully through understanding these items, we now have a better understanding that the believer, for the believer to forgive others, especially our fellow believers. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the time that we're able to look into your word and to begin a study into this, into this short book. But Lord, there's so much practical and needed information here to help us to grow, to become more Christ-like. We pray that we'll take these truths and that we will seek to apply them, not just give them mental assent, not just understand them on an intellectual level, because we can understand a scripture, but Father, it's another thing to live it out. And we can only do that. We can only do that by trusting you by already being your child, by having placed our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, continuing to trust you for our daily needs, our daily concerns, and, and how we walk. And we can only put into practice things like forgiveness and growing spiritually through the work of the Spirit in our lives. So take these words, plant them deep within us, help us to understand better 
Help us to experience forgiveness, not just what it means to receive forgiveness, but to give forgiveness. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.